0: Welcome to the Oil and Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast with Sarah Stogner, where each weekly episode touches on legal and risk management issues impacting the energy sector. Visit our website at www.oilandgaslegalrisk.com for more information on today's episode, past episodes, and upcoming OGGN events.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by ThoughtTrace. Developers of Alley, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. Hey, good morning. This is Sarah Stogner with the Oil & Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast. We are sponsored by ThoughtTrace, Developers of Alley, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. ThoughtTrace, let the software do the reading. So I've got Jeff Runyon here with me again. Thank you, Jeff. We are crashed at Midland Country Club, who they are so patient with me. But if you hear blowers or noise in the background, that's where we are. So thanks for joining me again. So we we just recorded an episode and we were talking about a case where you got roped in on on an incident. And it's just, I love nerding out about this stuff. So let's keep going with that and we, we, we kind of ended the last episode with policing ourselves and regulations so where do you as a consultant and kind of you know your experience with both offshore and the different onshore plays traditional and then I guess you were doing water flooding and some lateral so you've seen a lot where do you kind of see the the regulatory environment going
0: so I think that as an industry we do not do a great job of stepping up to the plate and saying that we're safe and effective. I think that you saw legislation come out in Colorado and the talking points were we have to protect the jobs. And that is very true. And I obviously, you know, my job is in the industry and I continue and plan on it being that way for a long time. But I think that we have to change what we talk about. I think we need to talk about that we are safe and we are environmentally responsible. And that if we start talking about that and, and put a counterpoint out there where they say, well, you're terrible for the environment. You know, I don't think we want to answer us being terrible with the environment and say, oh, but you depend on us. Well, okay. So
1: right. Then let's figure out good. a way to not depend on you instead. Yeah, exactly. Let's show how yeah, it's funny. Cause the other day windmills, right. Alternative energy windmills. I don't know how many Thousands or millions of birds windmills kill, and right? And they talk about the migratory bird patterns and how it's messing up. My husband's a big hunter and conservationist, and so he talks about the windmills. Solar panels, same kinds of issues with animals. Like People that plug in their electric cars, where do they think that that power, that electricity is coming from, right? We have to have electricity generated somewhere. So I don't have the stats in front of me or, or anything like this, but I saw something the other day and it was the hashtag energy proud. And so instead of, right, trying to make a simple economic justification, let's address the substance of the environmentalist arguments that we're horrible for the environment and say, no, we're not horrible for the environment. Let's try to, and, and what the Shell stockholders that were all, I think, up in arms on the global climate change stuff, they've now realized, okay, I see what you're doing. We, do, we definitely need to get better as an industry of preaching what we're doing and how we are stewards of the environment.
0: I think it's important. You've seen Quad O come out, and then Quad OA has come out uh, really trying to help with the tank vent issues. We have a lot of leakage problems that we've addressed as an industry and we're continuing to address and I think it's important that we just own up to those and and address them openly. I I just pulled a, a lawsuit up on my phone that just came out. The EPA has a lawsuit against High Point operating that came out in the news, I think last week, specifically around tank venting. And I think that those types of stories put us in a negative light as an industry. And I think if we come out and say, hey, these are the new technologies we're introducing to make sure we're not doing that, you know, and, and we hold our operators accountable. Don't leave thief hatches open, guys. It's right. It's a bad thing. Right. I mean, it's especially now safe. with
1: drones and there's on both sides, right? It's easier and much more economical for people to police themselves and fix issues. It's also much less expensive for environmentalists and regulators to monitor and patrol these because they don't need to have a physically a guy on the ground with an air monitoring device they can fly a drone that can survey and see this stuff.
0: Yeah, I think and I think that we're starting to see that. I think we're starting to everybody's waking up to the fact that there is a lot of visibility into Emissions. Right. It's not, it's a, we can see it now. It's not just into this invisible thing that where you just vent and, oh, <laughs> the flare went out for a little while. We didn't Whoops. know we were venting. <laughs> you know, I don't think we're seeing as much of that. I right. hope that we're not. I'm not hearing about it as much, right. you know, talked about on the download or anything. Yeah. So I think we're doing a good job there. And I think we just have to change the narrative. We have to, the industry, we have to step up. And I think that a lot of the negative legislation around, our industry starts to go away or becomes invalid because we're saying it's not necessary. Yeah, no, we are safe. Like yeah. we can do this where we can be environmentally responsible. We can be safe for people. We can do this effectively.
1: And I'd be interested to see what the difference is in the cost of operating a well in Colorado where there's state imposed emissions standards that are actually being enforced with flaring and things like that versus Texas and some of the other places where we don't have the same level of regulation, I suspect it's probably not statistically significant. I'd have to go back to my P values. But by the time you consider all of the costs of potential liability, regulatory, all of these issues, like why can't we just be better and smarter about it.
0: Yeah, and I think it's okay for operators to step up and saying, we're doing this to be safer. We want everyone to do this to be safer and more effective and to to work to level the playing field, if you will. I think that operators who go out and really work to comply with all of the API standards and really work to reduce their emissions feel that they're at a disadvantage. Yeah, I think they probably are. And they probably are, but I think that they're you know, they talk about it as though they're touting like such a wonderful thing that they're doing. And I think that they are doing a wonderful thing, but I think that we should stop. It should stop being a wonderful thing that they're doing. And it should just be something that we do as an industry. And that it's just a foregone conclusion that, you know, we follow and we impose extra work on ourselves to make sure that we are as safe and as environmentally responsible as possible.
1: Yeah, I completely agree.
0: So I think that this will happen though. I think because we're in a really unique place in the industry, especially with the great crew change having happened. So traditionally, 50- and 60-year-old individuals have positions in a, you know, of authority and decision-making, and they leave and they're replaced with more 50- and 60-year-olds. That has not happened. You know, I've only been in the industry eight or nine years, and I've seen the decision-making age shift 20 years right. younger.
1: Yeah, and absolutely.
0: And so there's negative and positive with that. We certainly have lost a lot of experience, and that's negative. The positive of that is that younger people are more willing to change. And that's that's just always proven true. And so yeah. I think that as we have younger decision makers, that there is going to be a little bit more willingness to make faster changes than what we've seen in the industry before. And so I hope to see with that uh, less of "we've always done it that way," and I hope to see more of "I think that this is a better way to do it. We're, we're gonna we're gonna do it like this."
1: Cue the angel singing, man. If I could sing, it would be like ah, because I think you totally nailed it. And it's exciting. I think it's a really exciting time for the industry and it will make my job as a lawyer easier and better. And I think it'll help the clients because it's a whole lot easier to fight the good fight when you're doing what you're supposed to do the way that you're supposed to do it because it's the right thing, not because Big Brother is slapping you on the wrist. And again, I don't know if it was this episode or last episode, but we want to regulate ourselves because we we know the industry. And as soon as you have lawmakers that don't understand the realities and can't, you know, it's just a matter of life. You The laws, the way that legislation is made, the sausage will, you know, the sausage is being made, you don't want to see. But it takes time. And it's the same reason that we have issues with our contracts and our insurance is because it takes a whole long time for words to be written disputes to happen, courts to issue opinions. And in the meantime, five or six years passes and new technology's out. We've got different issues that need to be addressed. So with all this new technology that's out there, let's pick the best and the brightest. Let's embrace it as an industry. Let's stop shielding all of our information and our data. Let's start sharing things that are helpful, owning up when we make mistakes, sharing that mistake fixing the mistake, and letting others learn from our mistakes and failures. And I think as an industry, we are really bad at doing that. And I know why. Because of lawyers, right, and litigation. And so there's there's a whole host of reasons for not sharing your failures. But I think some of the really good trade organizations and some of the informal groups that are out there, like you said, the underground rumblings, right? I mean, communications are happening but it's over a beer between an engineer at Operator A and an engineer at Operator B. And it's like, man, you know, we saw this thing last week and, you know, something, something. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, you know, we had a similar issue and we tried this. And it's like, oh, yeah.
0: I watched that conversation happen last night.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. But unfortunately, the two guys or gals that had that conversation are the only ones that benefited. So if we can put anonymous information out there, share stories, share battle wounds in a way that doesn't expose us to additional liability unreasonably, then we need to be doing it. And so I think that's really exciting. Yeah. The new newer generation. Hashtag millennials, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Energy millennials. Yeah.
1: There you go. There you go. So you're in Colorado now. And so where are you guys doing projects?
0: So most of our projects are, are in Texas and in North Dakota. We actually don't do very much work in Colorado right now.
1: Yeah. But it's a really cool place to live. It
0: is awesome to live there, though.
1: <laughs> so kind of what do you see as far as kind of some either if it's operational differences? I mean, obviously, the Bakken is different than the Permian. But I mean, they're they've got some kind of similar issues, right, as far as?
0: Sure. So I can talk a little bit probably better about the Eagle Fruit and the Permian, and I think that because they're in the same state, it's an interesting comparison. Yeah. So whenever I started in the industry, I came out to the Permian in like 2015 to do some work. And I met a lot of people, and it was a very interesting place. And and they talked as though no one else in the world could produce oil like people here, and that people from other places didn't know how to produce oil because they weren't from the Permian. <laughs> and I was like, hold on a second. You know, physics don't change regionally. Right. So you know, the counterpoint to that for me earlier in my career was the Eagleford. You saw a lot of offshore people coming into the Eagleford. You see, you know, on the on the service facility, you see these big modular central processing facilities that are skidded separators. It's akin to a platform-esque design. And so I think that that was pretty neat. You see operators working 14 and 14. It feels a lot more offshore if you will. And so I have seen that shift come into the Permian. And with that has come this whole wealth of knowledge and, and, and a little bit more pride in, in what we do as an industry to say, hey, we we are the, a recognition that just because you're from the Permian doesn't mean that you're better or even really different than operators in the Bakken or the Eagleford. Right. And so I think that that's pretty interesting to see over the past couple of years is that transformation of the acceptance of technology, the acceptance of rotational schedules, which are very challenging for operators.
1: Right. And that type of thing. And from my perspective, I've seen just in the couple of years that I've been spending time out here is a recognition that, okay, handshakes just aren't going to cut it. But there is definitely still the speed of the Permian where, you know, unlike offshore where people are looking at fiscal year 2020 budgeting and thinking, okay, well, you know, here's our maintenance. Here's our decommissioning plans. Here's, you know, we've got all these. Here's our our new scheduled drills. We're thinking by 2025. You know, here it's like, uh... I think we need an offset. Well, can you guys get some crews out here? You know, like eight days, right? I mean, it it is a different world. It's a fast world. And from my perspective, there's pros and cons to that. So, you know, I always tell people that you're better better off having no contract than a really bad contract. And so many times, if you hand someone an MSA or any type of contract and they simply sign it, do not feel good about yourself. <laughs> you may They may have agreed to all of your terms and conditions, but I can almost guarantee you that they will not be able to comply with all of the requirements. And in the event of something really bad happening, the insurance isn't going to be in place. They're not going to necessarily have the sophistication or the wherewithal to be able to pay their responsibility. And so you're better off just not having an MSA than you are having a bad MSA. And... That freaks people out. But if we allocate responsibility at law as opposed to one party taking everything and not having available insurance, it saves you fights later. And you can always come back and and agree to terms and conditions that govern the entire scope of the work. So if you're really dying to get work started, go ahead and start the work, and then let's get an agreement in place. But don't sign just any piece of paper to, quote, unquote, get the work, because like we were talking about earlier... The risk you may take is, is it worth, right? If you've got a $100,000 job now, is it worth, quote unquote, betting the company on signing a really bad contract because you want the work for a $50 million project? Maybe it is, right? Business decisions. But there's no one size fits all advice. And it is definitely interesting how the industry here is is changing. and, And I think there's a recognition of, okay, just because we've all known each other for 50 years, a handshake just doesn't cut it anymore.
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty fun too to watch the startups come in and they're no longer a mom and pops. They're called startups and now the smaller shops. Yeah. And so I think it, it sometimes names matter. And so, you know, we're not a, you see a lot of guys who are smaller shops that are trying to grow and they're just doing it right from the beginning, from the outset. You're not, they're not worried about, oh, well, this is how I've always seen it done. They're trying to get out there and do it right and work with their, with their operators and. And work with the, you know their clients to do things well. Yeah, I think that's really fun. And yeah, that's that's a fundamental shift in our industry. I think that before we would see a couple of friends get together and start a construction company, and they would just go build stuff. They yeah. didn't have safety procedures. They weren't worried about any of that. And I think that now we're we're seeing less of that, and that's really healthy for us as yeah. an industry. I think that we've we've have an environment now where you can have innovation and new companies and be safe. So I think that our the operators in our industry are really committed to safety and risk mitigation in a way that fosters growth of new companies. You know, they'll they'll guide you along the way and make sure that you're doing the right things. And I think that's really healthy.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. So, where do you think maybe in the next ten years, innovations? I, I've been I've been really concentrating on midstream water issues out here in the Permian. So those, I won't exhaust that topic, but you know, are there any other things that you think are like so coming I'm, down the pipeline? Ha <laughs> ha, pun intended.
0: I'm really excited about enhanced oil recovery in the shale plays. I think that we pulled on these wells so hard. We broke gas out of solution. We left a ton of oil in place in the <laughs> reservoirs. You're looking five years ago, the same well, if we were to redrill that well, we've shifted the type curve up Twenty percent. Right. That means we've got all all of those older wells that we didn't have great frac technology on, or maybe we were not producing them as well as we could have. Have a ton of oil down in there. So, so I'm you sure see it with CO
1: two. You think they're going to come in and like CO two flood? Or you're talking about think coming you in can and flood
0: re- because of some of the channeling that happens in the shale? So I don't think that. I, I mean, don't, I
1: guess you can. You just never know where you're going <laughs> to.
0: We don't know where it's going to go. You you could end up gas fracking back into a different set of wells you didn't even know about. So maybe huff and puffs with field gas, where we're utilizing midstream technology on an upstream well pad to strip out heavy and mid gas, reinject it, let it soak, and then produce that. You know, mobilize the oil and produce it again. I think that'll be really neat. And I think it will spawn a lot of innovation and work here in the Permian and in the other basins.
1: Do you know Steve Melzer? I do not. So Steve Melzer here, this is a free plug, Steve. Steve is a CO2 guru. He's based here in Midland and he does a CO2 conference every year here. It's usually in December. I need to put you guys in touch because I've been talking to Steve about CO2 and Huff and Puff and all this stuff which apparently is not what you do with whipped cream cans after midnight in high school (laughs) (laughs) that's a joke guys okay but yeah no so so, some really interesting stuff on I think that
0: would be really cool I also think there's a fear among operators of CO2 because it is Present its own unique facilities challenges, and yeah. as we discussed earlier, facilities are not always embraced as yeah. being a, a core discipline. So a lot of times, it's consulted out. So, if we embrace it as a core discipline and we get over a little bit of fear of CO two, then maybe that is the answer. I mean, it has great miscibility, right? So, yeah, why not let that be the answer? I think that that is really exciting.
1: Yeah, and at the same time, you can also use it. It's not a stunt. I think it's a legitimate PR opportunity of we are taking greenhouse gases out of take capturing them and containing them and when done properly but even if you're using on-site gas you're preventing flares right so yep. we're what a mile and a half from my house and at night i can see you know five or six wells flaring i'm gonna float away she keeps refilling my coffee cup thank you okay, <laughs> but you know it's like and then I'm I go and I pay my gas bill, right? There's a disconnect. There's opportunities like, to figure it give, out. Give me that. Yeah, right? Let's let's pipe that up. Oh, yeah, we don't have the infrastructure, but yeah, it's interesting and and, and you're the first that's Thought about there that's talked to me about that recently since Steve. So I'm definitely going to put you guys in touch. Yeah, I'd
0: love to meet him. I think yeah. that that's, I get really excited about that. I'm a petroleum engineer by degree. My background is in facilities. And so I'm constantly trying to marry those two things together. Yeah. I don't like the disconnect. I don't think we talk well amongst disciplines sometimes. And so I find myself facilitating communication frequently between production engineers and facilities engineers right. so that we can get better products out the door and we can try new things and, right. and maybe you know gain some efficiencies.
1: Right, especially at the bigger companies where you have a guy that can be so specialized on he's doing drilling and someone else is doing reservoir and someone else is doing production and someone else is doing facilities and then maybe the dissemination of information and ideas – you know, people are too busy doing their daily jobs to kind of to have that opportunity to that's interact. That's
0: probably my favorite part of engineering consulting is is coming in and having an outside perspective and being able to help those guys talk inside of their organization and create value beyond just the product that I'm providing. Right. I think that that's really fun and I enjoy it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's exciting. So, can you give people your contact info if they want to find more out about you guys, your website, your LinkedIn? Go ahead and do that whole spiel.
0: Yeah, so the best way to get in touch with me is by email. Okay. You can email me at jeffrunyon at halker.com. And then our company's website is halker.com, H-A-L-K-E-R.com. Our website is currently under construction, so we'll be releasing a new updated website sometime in June, July time frame. Okay.
1: But people can find you on LinkedIn. They can they do can a find, search. They
0: can find us on LinkedIn. They and can I'll, do a search for Hulker Consulting. We have a website. It's yeah. just it doesn't contain the full breadth of, of the services that we offer. So we do facilities, pipeline engineering, midstream gas plants, those types of things. We also have do some drilling with a focus on conventional We try, we really feel like there's a need for that right now. I feel like a lot of these conventional producers are getting left behind a little bit and they're just being ignored by the industry. And so we want to be unconventionally conventional, uh, as I said earlier, in in that regard. And then we also help out with operations management. We'll do operations audits and things like that as well. And we have a, a really great, talented automations group
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll put all that information in the show notes for this episode and last episode. And that, that way people can find you and get in touch with you. And next time you have an issue, let's do this again. Next time you're in town, I, I think that, and especially when I finish reading this When Words Collide book, I'm to- it's totally giving me a roadmap for like 10 episodes worth of content.
0: Oh, that's cool. I'm going to have to read that you're book You're totally going to have to
1: read it. And In fact, I almost don't want people to read it.
0: <laughs> so that you can cover it?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Just because, no, I really do. I really do want everyone to go read this book. It, it's good. It's written in plain English, it is not boring. And I think it will help people appreciate what we do and why we do it. And from my perspective, it'll help people to not be as afraid of the artificial intelligence. I hear so many lawyers and landmen and all sorts of people that deal with contracts and words saying, oh, you know, the artificial intelligence is going to put us out of business or it's going to, you know, take away jobs. And I think that's, that's short-sighted in that it would be like going back in time 40 years and accountants saying, we can't use Excel spreadsheets. We're not going to need accountants anymore, right? I mean, it's just... Let's figure out more efficient, smarter ways to do it so that the brain power can be used for fixing things and contracts, insurance. We've got all these problems. Let's figure out technology and solutions that can help resolve it and use our brain power and let the machines nitpick and find grammar errors and mistakes and, you know, or or the dreaded copy and paste, right? So I had a, a guy the other day, that the drilling plan got approved, and there was a copy and paste error. And so they drilled the well exactly oh no. according to specifications, but guess what? It was the wrong well, and no one caught it. Oopsie! Oh, that's terrible. Right? And it it, it was like a copy-paste-save error, like a version issue. I mean, it happens to the best of us.
0: Yeah, version control is hard sometimes, yeah. but that's a pretty big slip. It's a
1: pretty big slip. So, But there, there's, there's better ways to do it, so... Thank you so much for joining it's me. It's
0: been really fun. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and let's hope that this weather, we don't get any more golf ball-sized hail.
0: Yeah, I really don't want to drive in that again. That was exciting. That presents a unique challenge. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Your company does not want you driving either. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not my favorite.
1: Well, thanks so much. Thank you. And guys, make sure you go to oilandgaslegalrisk.com subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your favorite subscriptions so iTunes yada yada make sure you leave us a review that helps other people find it and you know i was like number 2 in the UAE a couple weeks ago so who knows maybe they're listening
0: yeah i've been trying to encourage people to nerd out with us and yeah. enjoy this yeah. stuff i think it's fun
1: yeah thanks If you guys could do me a favor and like, leave a review for this podcast, that's the best way for us to get exposure and let other people discover how much fun we can have reviewing insurance and risk management issues.